Welcome to Pancakes on Sunday. Like pancakes, we have many different flavors we like to bring to the table each week. We talk about sports, mental health, women's awareness. We have interviews with people, uh, talk about games and entertainment, and a lot more. This week, I, Chelsea, am joined by Joe. Yola. Corey. What's up? Ryan. What up? The the huge. And um, Chelsea. Chelsea Warnick. Uh, she works with me. We work together at Advanced Psychotherapy. Um, she's been there about two years less than me. Three? Yeah. A little less. Yeah. Uh, but a Cleveland State alum. And um, just as myself, pretty much everybody there is. Go Vikings, right? Go Vikings. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I'm waiting for it. Yes. And so we have a really interesting show for you guys today. Um, we want to talk about uh, dissociative identity disorder, which is better known to the public, you know, less clinically speaking, as multiple personality disorder. Uh, there's a lot of movies out there that um, hint at what it looks like, but mm -hmm. it really depends. Um, and I wanted to get an idea, Chelsea, about you first. I want to give the audience you know, the people that are listening, our fans, um, who you are, why you decided to get into mental health. Um, and, and for some reason to kind of give some background as, as a therapist, I don't know if this happens for everybody, but for whatever reason, th there's particular population that is either drawn to us or we're drawn mm -hmm. to them. For me, I feel like a lot of my clients, you know, we work with sexual addiction and sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have ADHD for whatever reason, previous diagnoses at least. And I don't know um, if it's, you know, living with somebody who has ADHD. I find that it's really helpful for me in the field to be able to help them. But for some reason, you got lucky to get the DID, which mm -hmm. isn't, it's not super common, and you we work at a really small practice. So for Chels to be able to work with these individuals, I don't know, it's really cool, to say the least. Um, so Chels, I wanted to just kind of navigate with you, because you totally switch careers. Mm -hmm. You're like, I I did this, and then, and so I want to get to, I want the fans to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, so I guess in terms of my career, where I started was thinking that I might go to law school. So I got a degree in economics and business analytics, um, which is basically just applied math. Um, Ugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> but at that point, I was good at it, and I didn't want to keep doing school. So I was like, all right, we're going to roll with it. It makes money. Sounds good. Uh, I started to realize I didn't want to go to law school, and I really liked economics, but I wasn't willing to go get a PhD. I wasn't willing to do that much more school, so I kind of like scrambled and applied to a bunch of jobs, and then I eventually got a job or an interview at Nestle um, to be a financial management trainee. Basically, I just I worked in finance. I did a little bit of everything. Um, so I got that job, I moved to Milwaukee, worked in actually Nestle's chocolate factory, which is fun for most people, but I don't even like chocolate, so um, I wanted to work at the pizza factory. But, so I did that for a little while. Um, I would say that probably within like three weeks, I was like, I hate this. 
Oh no, yeah. Charles. That's, that's awful. That's yeah. fast. You moved yeah. to Milwaukee. I, yeah. so I was, I was set. I had a whole house, so I knew that I didn't love it, <clears throat> and I kind of just chalked it up to like being in the adult world, and like I got to have fun in college. Like it's just work, and that's just what you do. So I stuck with it for a little bit longer. Um, I convinced them to let me move back to Cleveland, which is where I'm from. And I still hated it. <laughs> uh, and so when I got here, though, I had more resources available to me, um, just in terms of people, financially, and all that stuff. And I kind of got to thinking that if I was really going to make a giant change, what would I actually want it to be? Like, if I'm going to go through all this effort, what do I actually want to do? Mm-hmm. And I took a little bit of time to figure that out. And ultimately, the only thing that I kept coming to was like, oh, I just really want to talk to people and help them feel better, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that sounds cheesy, but it's what I think I naturally like to do in my regular life. So mm-hmm. I was like, if I could do that for a living, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that led me to talking to a bunch of people and kind of, you know, we know that there's a lot mm-hmm. of different types of mental health roles you can have between like master's degrees and PhDs and PsyDs and all that stuff. And so I decided that uh, getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling um, was the best choice for me Mm -hmm. because it was really based on being with clients versus like research or data or any of that stuff. And that's what I want to do. Like Mm -hmm. I just want to sit and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I saved up my money uh, I quit Nestle. I moved to the Philippines for a little while before school started. <laughs> um, and then I started. And I've kind of not turned around ever since. Yeah, yeah. So. And Chelsea, I, I, you know, it's really been a pleasure working with you. I feel you and I really do some good work together. Uh, we really complement each other. Chelsea and I run a lot of groups together. We've, mm-hmm. um, you know... A lot of the people who listen to us, and you guys, of course, know that we work primarily with people who have sexual addictions, problematic sexual behavior. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's a question for both. I don't know if I asked you mm-hmm. before. Like, what when you first started getting into you want to help people and mm-hmm. you go for the mental health side, what made you choose your specialty that you're mm-hmm. what you're here to talk mm-hmm. about, and what made you go into helping sexual victims and yeah. such? Yeah, that's a great question. So. Ultimately, I could say that my internship was by chance. So I was working at Frontline Services with the homeless. And my point, I I was going to, when I got that job and took it, I said, I need to be able to intern here because I, you know, I, I need some flexibility. I need to be able to go to school. And they were like, yes, of course, you can absolutely intern here. Well, as I was nearing my practicum that summer, of 2018, uh, nobody was getting back to me. And so I started to scramble. I started Mm -hmm. applying everywhere for my internship practicum site. Well, I I just sent out a bunch. And Mm -hmm. Gary calls me, who is the founder of the practice, ended up getting... um, or he ended up, so he ended up calling me. He's he's no longer the owner. Uh, Christy is taking over for him. But he found her the practice. He called me and we chatted. He's like, do you know what kind of population we mm-hmm. work with? And I was like, 
yeah, adults? <laughs> Fucking A. And he's like, and he kind of giggled. I remember this like yesterday. And he's like, yeah, you could say that. And so he kind of gave me a rundown. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's mm-hmm. give it a go. Why the fuck not? Yeah. Um, so I went, I went for the interview probably within the week. And really enjoyed the energy. It was like in this little quaint house mm-hmm. is where our practice is located. Mm-hmm. And it just felt right. Something about it felt right. But I knew if I was going to do that, that I couldn't work full time. And so it kind of changed my life because I'm like, I'm going to have to do serving or something. Mm-hmm. Never before had done any serving. And I was in my mid-20s. I'm like, who the fuck's going to hire me? Like, this is going to be terrible. I ended up getting a job at Chester Tavern. Right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. did. yeah, you did. I worked there all summer, um, and then, the, of course, the fall came, and it was really slow, but Corey and I lived in that little apartment. wasn't too expensive to be able to afford it. So, to answer your question, it was it was really by chance, and then start you start doing the work, and it's not work that you can just do. It's mm. you learn and grow in this place, and I probably wouldn't be the clinician I am today if I didn't work here. Do you have to choose a specialty to graduate, or do you? No, have to, you, you, mm-hmm. nope. there's just a broad thing, and you what mm-hmm. you do later, and how you okay. Yeah, so you get your master's. It's a master's in it's a counselor education, so master's in counselor education, clinical mental health counseling. So that essentially means that you can teach at on a college level, not as a professor, but as like an adjunct pr- instructor. Essentially, mm-hmm. you can teach in yeah. like the stuff that we learned. Yeah. You can do um, research. You can do research. Yeah, there's a couple other realms you can you can navigate with that. But you could also um, so you take a national counselor examination and you have to pass that, mm-hmm. and then you obtain your LPC, which is licensed professional counselor, mm-hmm. and then you can pretty much navigate the field as you go through go through all of that, or after you go through all that, what kind of population you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just the the wheelhouse I kind of fell into. Yeah. How about you? What did you? How did you fall into APS? <laughs> I think fall into it is is accurate, just in a different way. Um, I there's a professor at CSU that specializes in sexuality issues, um, and not necessarily the same way we do at our practice. I think there's more focus on. Um, sexual assault victims and and the other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. um but she also had a like a class that specialized in not only teaching i guess like a teaching a little bit about a lot of parts of sexuality and healthy sexuality but the underlying theme was that it taught how to apply a positive sexuality model of counseling or to counseling. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, to me. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> sometimes people know yeah. and some people don't. That's why mm-hmm. I ask. And so basically that just means that like as therapists, we are basically the only... Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. The only thing we're taught is don't fuck your client, don't fuck your client, don't fuck your client, don't fuck your client, right? So that's drilled into our heads. We know that. But I think that because of that, Oftentimes, therapists are afraid to talk about sexuality issues 
in fear that it might be misconstrued or that it's inappropriate or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so there was this uh, statistic that stuck with me since that class that like one third of all people that come to counseling have a sexuality issue as either their primary or secondary um, presenting problem. So it's important. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of hooked me. I really wanted to do that. I did a little bit of uh, research with her to help her out or be a graduate assistant. Um, and I thought I was going to work with sexual assault victims. Uh, kind of same thing. I was looking for a internship and our another professor mentioned APS and that they deal with sexuality issues. I did not know what type. Mm -hmm. um, and then I came in for an interview. And again, the energy was good. Christy and Gary both interviewed me. They mm -hmm. were really nice, you know. Um, they were transparent about what we deal with, mm -hmm. and, and I was up for the challenge. So. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought before you asked that question. You know, I it said our wheelhouse is working with people who have problematic sexual behaviors. Um, but we were kind of talking about you, Chelsea, and like how you came to be in this, in this line of work. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was, you know, just complimenting how you and I work really well together. And, um, you know, we, we run a couple of sex offenders, sexual behavior groups together. Um, we have a lot of mutual clients that, mm -hmm. you know, we really work together on helping them become the best versions of themselves. And it's really cool, uh, doing that stuff together. So... I want to, do you have anything else about you as a person or as who, like anything regarding that before we move on to the DIV stuff? That's a big question. <laughs> do you still rock climb? I do. I was <laughs> rock climbing yesterday. Nice. I'm, I'm, How was can, that? It was good. I was say nobody nice. can see, but I'm picking my yeah. calluses. Gross, yeah. but well, it was in, fun. in addition to the work we do together, at, speaking of rock climbing, you know, we... Uh, you're one of our backpackers, right? When we I when am. we do our little backpacking trips, yeah. we all get together, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's really cool to have that in common. Because um, I, I, that's not something that everybody likes. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle. For Kyle. Oh, poor Kyle. <laughs> Kyle and Casey, man, yeah. they got fucked up last time. That was cool. wicked. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think so. If you guys, if anything comes up, feel free to ask. But I think that at least in terms of what we're talking about, that that's pretty accurate. Okay, cool. I mean, it's crazy. You, I mean, you lived in Milwaukee or Wisconsin, and then you mm -hmm. lived and went to the Philippines, all, and then now you're in your career. And yeah. You're, yeah. She also lived you're, in France. You're our age, I'm guessing? <laughs> I am 20. How old am I? 28. God damn. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. God damn. I know. I know. One of the most cultured people I know. She teaches oh. me a lot about stuff. Um, tells me what food I'll like and not like. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you probably won't like that. Okay, cool. I'll take your word for it. That's true. We still need to try more things. Yes. Maybe that's, that's you can do sometimes. Bring a bunch of stuff yeah. to Yeah. Well, as soon as, you know, not as soon as, but like within the last year, uh -huh. you know, being pregnant, it's not good to try all of that shit. Because you never fucking know. Um, true. I'll eat it. Like. Almost eat anything. I'll try it yeah. at least. Yeah. I'll at least try it. Yeah, yeah. garbage I love disposal. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rocky Mountain oysters would be made. Sure. I'll try it at least wow. once. <laughs> he said, "Wow." I tried it. it was I know good. what it is. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I know yeah. what it is. 
Would you eat it? Yeah, fuck it. I mean, any, if they're battered and fried, how bad could it be? Right. Yeah. 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 Dip it in anything's some, good battered Dip it fried. in some sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be all right. Have you ever heard of Balut? Um, no. Is it that weird Philippine black egg? Like the pickled egg? So I think that that's a century egg you're thinking of. Okay. But it's, it is an egg. But, but isn't it's there a, a f- chicken fetus inside of it? Correct. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. It's a fertilized yeah, duck embryo. Yeah. That's like oh a weird goodness. Vietnamese food or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's, I'd try it. it. It's like, to be honest, I think it's the one thing that I was like, oh no, this is just as worse as I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh really? It's bad. Yeah. But it's it's kind of seen as a delicacy, kind of like an oyster. So you, like, oh, if someone okay. gives it to you, you're just like, all right, thank you. But, <laughs> and you have to eat it? You don't have to. Oh. Okay. But I don't want to be a dick. I'm a huge texture person, and that genuinely oh. sounds like slimy oh. as fuck. How's it cooked? And it's not. It's like, it's no! Like, <laughs> no! There's like crack. Oh, that's well, not... I guess it's like boiled. I don't even. It's... Honestly, I didn't. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> True. I'm intrigued. It's. It's. I'm trying to, it's preserved in a way where I guess it's safe to eat type of deal and people eat it. Dude, that would give me the shits for real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt feathers. Oh. Yeah. Gross. Gross. No. Oh. Let me. I don't know about that. That's, it's kind of cooked that's, where, like, that's just the like, joke is not. That's, look at oh, it. No. that's like. Oh, no. That's, dude, I'd second that. He's <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> right out there. Oh, yeah, that's probably oh. one that's... That I'd be like, like, oh, the bee got me. You tried haggis? I haven't, actually. Have that, you? That's, no, no that's an interesting... That's one where I won't get in here in the States. <coughs> I have to go to the source to get haggis. The source? Yes. Oh. You know what haggis is? No. It's... It's like a bunch of stuff. Lamb stomach, right? Lamb stomach and everything's like stuffed inside of the lamb stomach and it's like a it's like Irish meatloaf. Yeah. That's a big old sausage. It's just a big old sausage and lamb sausage. stomach, dude. It's oh not that bad. You'd be fine. I eat that. I don't know about that chicken thing. That's <laughs> that's just after seeing that, that's like I don't know about that. I can that. hear him chirping, dude. It's like Irish meatloaf. Okay. Good. Well, I guess I could maybe navigate that a little bit. You don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It's like mystery. It's well, it's like wider. that one time we went to the French restaurant a couple of weeks back at Christmas. Uh-huh. And I was like, what is that? When I got the charcuterie oh, yeah. board. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. What did you have? What was it? It was like liver. Oh, pate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Never had that before. It wasn't Never. bad. I was pregnant too. Baby didn't care. It's <laughs> like, I'll eat it. I'll eat anything. <laughs> All right, so before we get off on a tangent of food, <laughs> again. We almost did. That was, that was a good we, one. We did. That yeah. was a rabbit hole. That was a good one. Um, all right, Charles, so what's DID? To give us a little bit, since this is kind of this your wheelhouse, sort of. I, I don't yeah. even know if I would call it your wheelhouse, but for whatever reason, you've had a couple clients mm-hmm. in a small practice we work at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to kind of hear your version of it. Yeah, so I guess I would start by saying I personally in no way think I'm an expert Mm -hmm. or, like, can speak 
beyond, you know, a podcast with my friends about it, I think. Um, but you're right in that I have worked with a few clients now that have it. Um, and actually, uh, a newer client that has another type of dissociative disorder um, that I'm learning a little bit more about, too. So, um, yeah, but I guess with that being said... Uh, Dissociative identity disorder used to be called, I think you already mentioned it, um, multiple personality disorder, but also some people know it by split personality disorder. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, hence the, the movie Split, right? right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I looked up a few things just so I had a little bit of data, and uh, I found that 0.5 to 3% of the population has... DID. And that is actually more than the percentage of the population that has um, any schizophrenia spectrum disorder. So it's more common than you might initially expect. Yeah, I actually it's thought it was more rare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And is this is Western culture, like mostly United States population? So the data that I looked up was for the whole uh, world. The whole world. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit more common than you would you would think. Um, still not super prevalent, uh, but part of the reason I think maybe people think it isn't is because it's so underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Because um, people don't recognize they have it a lot of times. Yeah, the lack of self awareness and insight. Uh, you know, we can only go off by what a client tells us. Correct. And so, for diagnosis purposes. It could be misconstrued for potentially schizophrenia. Yes. Yes. So, I guess I could read the DSM-5. That's what I often do when okay. I do my spiels about mental illness. Okay. It kind of gives a good rundown of the criteria. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. So, DID, or dissociative identity disorder, uh, the diagnostic criteria are... A disruption of identity characterized by two or more, that's the key, two or more, distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as an experience of possession. So kind of just keep in mind what the client's cultural background is, right? The, disrup disrup geez, the disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency, accompanied by related alterations in affect, right, so how we present our mood, basically, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. These signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. So basically what that's saying is you have two or more distinct personality states, and those different states are act almost as if they are two different personalities or we call them alters right but they're, they're completely differentiated and not only just maybe how they present to you but their thoughts their feelings their mood uh what they're attracted to a lot of different things well it's like a do they just like snap in and out of one or the other that's a good question and are like when they're in one, are they aware of the other? And is there like a like a battle going up on in their head type of deal? Like I'm gonna take over? No, I'm taking over now. Though I'm running this bitch. Yeah, yeah. Those are both good questions because I think so many people 
think that, right? Because that's what movies show us oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but so kind of a two-part question, because I don't want to forget, so help me remember, both of them. But the first part was... Do they just like kind of like click? Yeah, it's like a flick of a switch, pretty much. Yeah. That so that is the. It, it's so uncommon. I guess it could happen, but hmm. most of the time, it's not observable to a person that wouldn't be directly paying attention or know what to look for. Hmm. So it's very hmm. subtle. Maybe sometimes, like I have a client that if they, um, if I know they're switching, and specifically to a. A specific alter or personality um, or differentiated part of their self there's so many ways you can describe it they'll kind of um, rub their thighs as they're sitting down uh, almost as a way of self-soothing I think um, but they don't do anything with their eyes they don't like look like the raven having a vision right like it's a lot more subtle okay and then your second part was what um. Do, do they fight each other? Yeah, do they fight the each identities other? identities fight or each other? Are they aware of each other? Yeah, that's a loaded question, because it kind of depends. Um, but usually people with DID are not aware that they have it, because it's developmentally adaptive, because most of the time, or there has to be some aspect of reoccurrent trauma, right? So we're you're gaining this adaptive skill of dissociation in order to cope with something that was we wouldn't even dream of putting someone through. Mm -hmm. um, so people aren't necessarily aware when they have it. So you have this uh, amnesia. That's like a big key to DID is oftentimes clients will report that they like forget moments in time or they end up somewhere and they don't know how they got there. And like that can be really embarrassing, right? Mm -hmm. Because like... You know, if like someone walks you walks walk whoa walks up to you on the street and they're like, "Hey Ryan," you have no idea who they are. Right. There's like, "Hey," <laughs> right. So yeah. they experience that often. Okay. Um. So. So it's almost like they black out. It it might feel that way. Yeah. 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 It's not something I've experienced, but I would imagine it would be feel very similar. Mm -hmm. Um. So kind of try not to get off track, but it's answering your question. Um. With the amnesia. A lot of times that is the, I don't necessarily like to say like core or main personality, but maybe like the first um, personality, uh, because it, it's all personalities of someone's self. They're just differentiated. Um, but so the first personality might not know that they're switching and that's why they lose that sense of time. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, they might not know for a really long time that they're switching or that another altar is coming out or that they even have one now eventually if they come to find that out and maybe through therapy or nowadays like even social media because we're so much more aware of it um through integration work you can kind of have different parts of personalities and alters or different parts of the self communicate with one another mm -hmm. okay uh, does that make sense? A little bit. <laughs> okay. this, is, this stuff is so interesting. Yeah, it's, and it's a lot. I know it's a lot. Yeah. So I have sort of a clarification question. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if I know the answer. So DID, um, it's a trauma-related uh, diagnosis. Am I, am I correct? Or is it under personality diagnosis? No, so it's a dissociative disorder. 
Okay, so that is under its own thing. It has its own thing. It has its own thing. Correct. Okay. But it has its own thing. Yeah. Thing, so though. we're talking about the DSM, guys, and I, I've brought that to the to attention multiple times here, and many of our through the looking glasses. Let me make sure. Um. Oh, it is oh, a, it trauma. a stressor and trauma disorder. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Cool. But it Fuck has yeah. like its own section, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, in the DSM, it's under trauma and stress-related, or stressor. Stressor, yeah. Yeah, stressor and trauma-related disorders. Did it ever, was it ever a part of personality disorders in the DSM, to your knowledge? I know that's kind of pulling it from I the, would I, have no idea. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know that either, because axis, or the, when we had mm -hmm. the axes, I don't know, that's when it was multiple personality disorder, and Correct. since then it's changed. Yeah. Um, but this kind of hints, not really hints, but like, if you guys listen to the podcast with uh, that I, we released a couple weeks back about personality disorders mm -hmm. and mental illness, this gives you an even deeper sense of what trauma and like a trauma-related mm -hmm. disorder is versus a personality disorder mm -hmm. versus the mental illnesses we were talking about. So, all right. So, yeah. what do we catch. got next? I was gonna say good catch on the trauma disorder. Oh yeah, because it, it absolutely is is indicative of. Intense trauma. Yeah. Right? So that it's a, a trauma response, right? And because right. I would assume it's you know it's like a coping mechanism essentially that the body's learning over time to deal with the trauma that they're enduring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I That's, mean, it's just and they and they don't realize it's happening because the trauma they're experiencing is it's that you know flight mm -hmm. or fright mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Essentially, and then the body then gets used to that, and mm -hmm. then you start doing other things. You're yeah. literally mm -hmm. becoming like a different person in that moment. Yeah. So on the on the podcast a couple of weeks back when we were talking about mental illness and personality mm -hmm. disorders I gave this example and I want to put this in that spectrum mm -hmm. mental illness is like um being born and it will not be so in life uh mental illness and of course it's all on a spectrum but if we're kind of talking it in a very vague sense you break your arm you can cast it and it heals. Mm -hmm. Personality disorders are more so you lose an arm and you learn how to live without one. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to try to figure out like where DID is Ooh. in that. Like is that like... Ooh, I have it. Okay. So, and, and you can kind of alter it if you can see something that's a better fit. But I see DID as you lose an arm and you develop the whatever amount of prototypes of a functional arm to do whatever jobs you need it to do that you can kind of put on when you need yeah okay does that make oh, sense you're yeah. exchanging arms yeah yeah like uh yeah kind of like well i was gonna say phantom arm but that's not really correct that's gonna be exhausting oh yeah. So in that analogy, are you saying that each personality that they come up is a new arm? Yeah. So, okay, then when you get clients or whatever, mm -hmm. do they come in with, like, this person does, they have two or three personalities and they're always that? Or are they ever changing? Mm. Like, are they, like, is there a, a new personality mm -hmm. every day? Or is it always, like, they're either really kind of, like, um like anxious or they're put offish and they're kind of worried and they're afraid mm -hmm. of everything or mm -hmm. they're all like I, I mean something opposite of that I guess I mean or does it change every day yeah so 
That's a really good question. Uh, people so kind of in that uh i guess i only went over one criteria but it's a it's an important one it's two or more distinct states so i know that if i were to diagnose someone with did they have to have at least two different identity states um and then what else part of that did i miss um are they ever changing oh are they all the same yes yeah so I would say the simple answer to that is that they're they're often changing. They're often, uh, maybe not often, but they're commonly uh, creating the identity states that they need to cope. Because exactly like Corey said, it's it's an adaptive skill, right? It, truly, like the trauma that I've heard some of these people mm -hmm. explain, like movies from Saw wouldn't even compare. Or, like, mm -hmm. movies like Saw mm -hmm. wouldn't even compare. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so intense. I guess the death part, right? Because they're mm -hmm. alive. But anyway, right. you get my point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, so it's adaptive. So they are creating the, the separate identity states are kind of uh, removing part of their identity or separating part of their identity in order to kind of like keep it functioning in a mm -hmm. way and so they can do that with each different part of their uh personality or identity state um until they can survive mm -hmm. so it does generally tend to stabilize the, the number of alters um generally tends to stabilize over time or into adulthood um but it doesn't have to, right? If someone's continuously being uh, subjected to trauma, then, then it's still adaptive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in terms of integrating, um, that's kind of dependent on functioning too. I think ultimately a lot of therapists and like research says that integration's the goal. Um, so yeah. And something that just kind of popped into my head as we uh, reflecting also on previous podcasts but this one none of these can be substance induced mm. right or you can't be intoxicated as part of to meet the criteria for any other disorders so if somebody has a um psychotic episode because they it was substance induced that's a totally different mental illness and a wholly a totally different diagnosis <coughs> So that's something to keep in people's back pockets, too, because, um, you know, we can become different people when we're intoxicated and under the influence of Ryan. <laughs> Ryan's like, nah, nah, not me. <laughs> nah, um, and, and so that's something to keep in our back pocket, too. Um, Absolutely. Did you want to finish the criteria, though? Yeah, I can. Okay. All right. So I went over A. So the second one is reoccurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events important personal information and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting, right? So that's that's that amnesia that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot what I ate for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. I know you probably went over that before because it's in so many diagnoses. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, we probably nailed that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically, it, it has to affect you in a way that that 
is not helpful to your healthy functioning. Yeah, in, in multiple areas of your life. Mm. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, the next one is the disturbance is not a normal part of broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. Um, so it also has a note that, like, uh, in children, the symptoms can't be better explained by um, imaginary friends or things like that or, like, any other type of typical fantasy play in developmental appropriateness. Sure, sure. Um, so what's the youngest age that somebody can be diagnosed with DID? That's a great question. Go ahead and finish the criteria. I'll okay. go ahead and look so that up. So I know um, that the DID's onset or the onset of a separate personality state is usually before the age of six. So I don't know in terms of what diagnosing that looks like because I imagine it's very hard to catch that at mm -hmm. the age of six. Okay. Um, but in terms of the onset of the symptoms, it's very early. Yeah, five to ten. Okay. Is yeah. what this says. Wow. Yeah, right? That's insane. And I can speak, you know, anecdotally with some of my clients is that it, it's exactly within that. Five. Wow. Six. And so I want to kind of put this out there for you guys when we talk to put a couple, you know, uh, we've been talking about all these different mental illnesses and like Jeffrey Dahmer keeps popping in my head because mm. I'm, I'm like obsessed with serial killers. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you and every other white woman Dude, in the world. Right, right. <laughs> Basic bitch, right? Um, it's just so fascinating to watch these people endure the shit that they have and what, what it manifests into. Mm -hmm. I don't know because it's all different. Mm -hmm. And if I could really like put my, my finger on it to be able to be five five to ten years old, you guys remember what you were doing five to ten years old, riding your bike, chilling, mm -hmm. hanging out, and these these little guys, these little people, are literally turning into something different than themselves because of the trauma they've endured. Yeah. Between by earliest five. Yeah. Like, but I want to kind of add because it's like so easy to do this. It's not necessarily different than themselves but they're separating parts of who they yeah. are so they're not developing that sense of self that is basically yeah. your whole job in childhood yes they're separating it yeah not, not figuring out who they are right they're like oh this is not working out right i gotta i gotta be safe yeah so that's so taken away from state them. of so yeah. essentially and i could be completely wrong but like the what keeps coming to mind for me is, like, what kind of makes a difference between, like, DID on what it... Well, it probably makes a difference of what it becomes versus, like, PTSD. Mm. Like, because they mm -hmm. seem like they go very hand-in-hand. Hand. Yeah. So that's actually such a common uh, presenting problem or people that have DID are often diagnosed with PTSD before they learn that they have DID. No shit. So they're, okay. they're really, Okay, I really can see that now after yeah. learning all this, though, because mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I can see the similarities here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. PTSD has coping mechanisms just the same. Correct. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. just kind of another way to, to cope with oftentimes the things that give us PTSD. Yeah. So they're super common together. Yeah. And I think it's also... Talk about being a, like in a state of purgatory. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, I yeah. feel that's, like, real purgatory. Like, you don't actually know who you are because mm -hmm. you're constantly trying to develop to find out who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just trying one oh, thing Oh, that's a next. really sad way to put that. Yeah. 
Um, and have you... I asked you guys before. I don't know if I got a clear answer, though. Have you guys seen Moon Knight? Yes. I've never seen Moon Knight. Yes. yes. Do you remember... Um, I haven't seen it in a while, so don't, you know, quote me to this. But do you remember when the scene where he's in the, like, mental hospital or what looks like a mental hospital? No. Okay. I don't know if I got that far into it, though. Okay, so maybe not. But so the, the scene where he's in this mental hospital... It actually, spoiler alert, it actually ends up being a representation of his separate identities communicating with each other in his own mind. So that's, in that in that show, that's when they realize that, that they're different parts of themselves, or, yeah, themselves, right. yeah. and kind of have that realization. So you said purgatory, right. that's exactly. kind of an example of that being portrayed. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's how I would feel. Like, that's what I said. How exhausting. Mm -hmm. like, yes. Even I would know what to do as an individual. Yeah. So, are they people actually having, like, legitimate out loud conversations? Like, two different, what are two different, might be two different voices. Like, they might change their voice. Mm. Does that happen? I don't know if that's, I, like, that's, like, severe, I'm assuming. But I think but it's I mean, pretty rare, I would think. Or so, is it all just going on in their head and you don't really know what's actually going on because they're not yeah. speaking necessarily? It's, yeah, so it's a little bit of both. And, again, not necessarily speaking for everybody in the world or the population that has this disorder. Just kind of speaking from my experience with my clients, I've found that there is a pretty distinct difference in at least like their is elocution the right word like how they dictate mm -hmm. so not necessarily a whole change in voice they don't have a different accent or anything but for example someone that might have um a child alter they will put their thumb in their mouth and they'll talk with a little bit less um you know i wouldn't say intelligent words but their vocabulary would be more limited uh, so that is mm -hmm. is what I've experienced personally with my clients. That's and wild. That, that is absolutely Ooh. wild. And that was going to lead me into my next question. Mm -hmm. So your clients that you deal with, mm -hmm. have you, like, met different alters within the same client? Sure have. Dude, yeah. that's, that's wild. And this, so this is defense <laughs> mechanism speaking, is regression at its fullest, right? When you regress back to this five-year-old. Oh. Right? So, like, the... Uh, the, the five-year-old sucking their thumb mm -hmm. or um, mm -hmm. just throwing an age out there and, and baby talking almost or whatever the case might be. So regression is when you're when you're experiencing something that is so significant uh, as far as trauma goes, kind of like the post-traumatic stress disorder again. Mm -hmm. You've regressed to something, to a state of being that you were before mm -hmm. um, that almost reflects that. that where you might have been safe. Yeah. I was going to say, you go to your happy place. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess in in this, or not in this case, because it's not a singular case, but oftentimes I'm just kind of looking up the different types of alters that, that could be, but there's not an exhaustive list. But, like, the child alter um, generally emerges to handle the abuse that the, again, kind of, quote, core personality couldn't tolerate. So it's usually the first one that someone receives. Mm. And so even though it's a child alter, right, it, it's expected to kind of handle this trauma. And oftentimes yeah. it can't. And then in that case, there's another alter or separation of self that comes, and that tends to be the protector, right? Or the child alter will even have some 
uh, qualities of like the persecutor they call it right or or holding the anger and resentment of all the things they experienced because they were the first they know what was there right mm -hmm. not every uh separation of self not every altar is aware of the trauma all the time they can be but mm. they don't have to so be. i can see how this could be misdiagnosed in between ptsd bipolar mm -hmm. Yes, bipolar. Frequent, frequent yes. mood swings. Mm -hmm. I mean, this explains so much, mm -hmm. and it would take a lot of digging to figure out that yeah. it was DID. Yeah, bipolar is so common because you have, again, like you said, the mood swings and the just the moodiness, right? That's kind of you know. key. But then also, I think, or I've seen that depression, like deep, chronic, treatment-resistant depression suicidality self-harm right yeah. because you don't really or oftentimes you don't really know what's going on you just know that it's not okay what you went through is not okay or you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. so it, it's just it's not just a diagnosis of DID oftentimes it's so much more mm -hmm. that you just kind of pile on top of it mm -hmm. yeah and this is just how your body's coping now mm -hmm. this, yeah this constant state of change yeah it always has been yeah. yeah yeah and i've mentioned before in recent or in previous podcasts about the the unfortunate bureaucracy of our system and these are the people that fall through the cracks and don't get the treatment that they need mm -hmm. like uh yeah. chelsea sees this guy along with another clinician, what, it, two to three times a week? Two now. Two yeah. now. But okay. it was three. Yeah, um, for an hour or so a week, mm -hmm. or session. So he was getting the services. And was he seeing a psychiatrist too, to your knowledge? He At any not. point, he wasn't. Okay. But I think there was a... Sorry, not psychologist. I was thinking a psychiatrist. At one point in time, he did, did I say see, psychologist? No, you. Oh. oh, did you mean psychiatrist? I did mean psychiatrist. Okay, I knew what you meant then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's because we're both named Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> but um, telepathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't okay. think he ever took any, uh, you know, long-term okay medication or anything to that degree. So. This guy, I mean, ultimately, he he was one of the guys that ended up getting the services that he needed mm -hmm. to be able to be successful and live in society. And he will probably have and to that do that for up, the rest of his life. Yeah. And that brings up a whole other subject when mm -hmm. you just mentioned that he wasn't on long-term medication. Mm -hmm. I can imagine somebody with that. That would be pretty hard to figure out how to medicate. Yeah. Jesus. So there's Good luck not... With <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> Honestly, my personal... Probably because I don't have the background knowledge, but... I find medication and medication management so difficult, right? Because right. everyone responds differently mm -hmm. all the time. Right. So it's not, you know, you have your evidence-based or you have your hunches, but you never really know. Right. Um, but, yeah, so there's not necessarily, like, a, a medication such as, uh, you know, Vyvanse or Adderall, those are, those are brand names for ADHD, where right. it, it really does allow you to function yeah you, you're essentially i guess like bipolar kind of does the same thing but like yeah you essentially would have to try to make a cocktail that's balancing out you know yeah you know. yeah even even medication for um bipolar disorder is pretty effective actually but yeah so with did i 
you're right there's like a, a myriad or a cocktail of different things right that you have to figure out that works for that specific person but it will say oftentimes it does have to do with a lot of like SSRIs, MAOIs, more okay. depression okay. type of, of treatment. That would make sense. Medication. And, it, and I think as a counselor, you would probably have to dig more for like the triggers. The, like that's what you're searching for, right? Like root cause. Yeah. That, what you were thinking something the also Yeah. So ultimately, everybody, we all go through, there's always going to be a time where we're triggered and there's no medication that's going to take away how our moods are, right? Our moods are all up and down and that's normal. The only time, so when I make a referral for somebody to go see a psychiatrist, because mm -hmm. Chelsea and I, based on our licensure, we can't say you could, you should t be on medication. We can help the client understand what, how medication could be helpful and make a referral, right? Mm -hmm. And so... What I look for in a client is if they tell me that no matter what they do to feel good, they still do mm -hmm. not feel good. The things that they used to do no longer mm -hmm. make them happy, and they don't understand why. So their baseline, and their baseline for handling stress and just like mm -hmm. daily life shit is really low. Like it doesn't take much to make them sad or pissed off or... Um, in other words, unstable. Unstable, yeah. So I look to see what their where their threshold is at because my you know I, I guess me neurotypically I'm not on any medication, but there's been points in my life where it didn't really matter what happened to me on a day to day basis. This was after COVID, post COVID. My threshold for dealing with shit was just so low that I nothing you know exercise wasn't making me happy and I stopped exercising for a while um, I stopped eating healthy um, so I look at that and then I look at the client telling me those things mm -hmm. uh, as far as medication goes mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure if that answers your question but now for treatment of this are you helping people suppress their other personalities or deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis Oh, I like that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you said repress or deal with? Suppress, yeah. So, suppress, like, sorry. suppress and, like, not even, like, try not to even go into that state or yeah. switch or however. Sure. Or just... Throw, throw some dirt on it. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish life was that easy, right? Uh-huh. Um, so, that's a good question. I think I've said that a lot because I'll have good questions. Um... So there's three, uh, not sections, but kind of stages, I would say, when you're, or at least for me personally and the research I've done, this has been effective um, or is effective. So there's three stages. I wrote them down so I didn't forget, although I do them, which is funny. But um, so the first part is stabilization and safety, right? So we talked about how they often have PTSD. They have so much trauma. They have you know, uh, self-harm possibly, suicidality, all these things. So we're teaching them, you know, coping skills, grounding strategies to just stabilize them, to make sure that we can even keep them around, honestly. Um, so then the next part, which not everyone wants to do, this kind of answers your question, not everybody with DID will want to do. Um, so stabilization sometimes is where it ends. Um, but the second part is processing the trauma and grieving, right? Because usually there's a lot to grieve. 
when you go through that much trauma. And mm-hmm. you, oftentimes, I think grief in general, people don't always realize that they're grieving while they're grieving or what they're grieving even because mm-hmm. um, it kind of hits you. Um, so yeah, so it's processing the trauma um, and grounding without flooding, we call it, right? With not, without being too much all at one time where it's not helpful. Um, and then so if you get through that part and you know they're, they're willing to continue and you, and you have that therapeutic relationship, the, the last part or the next part becomes understanding their parts, right? Understanding the different um, parts of themselves, the roles they play, um, and starting to get them to talk to each other, right? We talked about, like, you asked, like, are they just fighting in their head, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they are. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you have uh, one alter that's, for example, let's say that, that alter that got to experience all that abuse from the very beginning, but they weren't adaptive, so maybe they didn't come out very often. They're pissed, Right, mm-hmm. they're angry at the world. They're resentful, mm-hmm. and so their solution might be to blow the place up when someone is rude to them. Whereas the other alters might be like, "Oh, like let's just ignore them." Right. So the the argument might be like that in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always happen that way, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, the, the 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 part of that that's important is getting them to communicate, getting them to function in. A healthy way like the next iteration of adaptive for them wow yeah and i would think all three of those stages are so super important uh to each in their own because as you mm-hmm. stated before some people may just stop the stabilization mm-hmm. but that can be scary because you could end up right back where you were mm-hmm. sure it's can. like sure you're okay right now mm-hmm. but it ain't gonna stay yeah. like that yeah. yeah and that's why people with did often need treatment for the rest of their lives it is very long term yeah because that's Correct. true rehabilitation yeah. you're becoming a new person mm-hmm. almost yeah, yeah. You, you, you're you are helping or as a therapist right but but this is I mean, there's definitely, like, things you can do if you know someone that has DID to help support them, too. But I guess speaking from a therapist, like, it's almost as if you are helping them develop into their whole self. Yeah. Right. Because they've never gotten that. Yeah. It's also really right. rewarding. Oh, and that's kind of what I was mentioning <laughs> yes. earlier about the triggers, why I would think, like, you want to kind of find those triggers mm-hmm. and then teach ways to cope with those triggers. Sure. Because you're still going to be triggered. Sure. But now you don't have to go to that altar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you learn new methods. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do, these, do people have, like, a base personality that is, like, their normal semi-personality and then with the alters that they have Mm -hmm. that pop in and out but there is like a base or is it always ever changing yeah so i would encourage everyone viewers everybody like i'm still doing research and i'm still learning i'd encourage you guys to go on youtube there's a lot of people that have did that actually you know share their experiences um, so that's kind of helpful to get a more well-rounded understanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But my experience is that there, an understanding, I suppose, is that there is a a, a personality or an alter, alter, maybe the core personality that you are born with, right? And so the part of your personality that is most how would I explain it? I guess maybe I would most, explain it in... Go ahead. Most prevalent? 
the one that you see the most, but you get the other ones popping in and out here and there. Yeah. So, but in terms of like the um, the branching off, is that I think I would call the one person, the first personality, the core. In that, they are taking uh, or removing or differentiating parts of them, but they have most of it, mm -hmm. right? So maybe that is how I would describe what makes them a core personality or first personality is that they're not, you know, you're not taking every single part of who you are and putting it into your second altar. You're taking one specific part in order to cope. And then if you need another, okay, well, you take one more out to cope. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes it generally um, the core, even if it's not presenting it, excuse me, even if they are not presenting most of the time. Like, mm -hmm. let's say this person is experiencing trauma 24-7, pretty much. Well, that, pers that, that, that core person, personality, is not going to come out because it's not safe. Yeah. They come out when they can. So that's kind of mm -hmm. up to their environment. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly yeah. grabbing those different parts. Yeah. 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 So the client that you primarily work with mm -hmm. that I'm very familiar with mm -hmm. and that we just absolutely adore, mm -hmm. how many personalities does he have? Ooh. Okay. Let's say. I can't say them out loud, so I'm going to say them in my head. So this guy has been seeing Charles. Um, he was seeing Chris for a while. Uh, this is the guy that has been seeing two to three times a week for, I don't know, probably a couple of years now. Wow. Um, and he is literally one of the most precious human beings I have ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, and I, I do want to comment, but I wanted to ask you how many personalities he has. So... The system in general, I, I don't know if I've ever said that actually, but people also, you know, refer to it as a system or often refer to themselves as a system. So like if I had DID, I'd say like Chelsea's system or the system of Chelsea. Mm -hmm. um, and so he has five. Okay. Yeah. Including, again, what we're kind of quote unquote calling a core personality. Core personality. Yeah. Yeah, so part of why I like to do these podcasts, the mental health through the looking glass, is to reduce the stigma that exists regarding mental illness. Mm. And DID and multiple personality disorder, I think movies have just really created this idea that isn't what it is at all. Mm -hmm. And it can make it scary for people. And that's why I think a lot of the time I hear personally, like when people, you know, when there's a mass shooting... Well, people automatically jump to the fact that they were really fucked up and probably schizophrenic or oh, something yeah. to this effect. And that bothers me because mm -hmm. it's not it's not true. It's not that it's not ever true. Mm -hmm. For sure it can happen. But that's not the reason why somebody decided to mass shoot. Somebody with DID didn't just decide one day they were going to pick up a gun and, you know, go blow up a school or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I like to reduce the stigma there. In just saying that this guy that Charles works with is just an absolute sweetheart. And I'll give you an example. One day he had said something that made Charles tear up. And that's one of the hardest things in our job. Mm -hmm. When our clients express something. Especially somebody like this client who trusts probably absolutely nobody. Mm -hmm. And then they tell you something that is so vulnerable. It's like, oh my god. You either trust me enough to tell me that, or you're an alter that something, something happens there. So it's really cool. But he came to my office one day. He's like, hey, I want to ask you a question. 
I'm like, okay. He's like, can you make sure she doesn't cry anymore? <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know that. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> and and so I just, my heart melted mm-hmm. for just, I, I want to appreciate the work that you do mm-hmm. because... That that alone says something mm-hmm. that he that he asked me to do that for you, yeah. um, and I think that speaks yeah. to us as. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. To no, I that. I didn't really have anything else to say. I don't think <laughs> that speaks to us like or just the the role that we have mm-hmm. as a clinician, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody will be that emotionally transparent, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to say that I don't cry every time someone yeah. tells me something sad. Uh, but yeah, in that moment, it felt appropriate to partially or supplementarily express like how meaningful it was to me yes right because without sharing too much right that they were a, a differentiated part of themselves like an alter that did experience a trauma was sharing with me that they wish that they had a big sister like me growing up yeah so that yeah. like Cut me to my right core, and, right? Right in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Just, I just, the, everything keeps popping up. And with all the, you know, everything that we've talked about through the episodes and mm-hmm. like trauma experiences, it's like, why does one big, bad, traumatic experience, like one bad thing mm-hmm. happen and causes a lifetime of damage that someone has to deal with. But there is no one great thing that can happen that can absolutely change your life. Mm. That can undo that. Even undo, undo or, or just the same effect, opposite effect. Mm-hmm. What's one just amazing event that will completely alter your life? For I mean, I, can th- I guess I can think of a couple, but I mean, it's like, seems like there's more bad that can hurt you Mm -hmm. forever Mm -hmm. than any one good thing can really do for you well in regards to trauma often it's not just one bad thing right so that there's a conglomeration of bad things Mm -hmm. a history of significant trauma over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and trauma is perspective it's not necessarily just one event often not it can most be. Kids. It can be, yeah. Yeah, most So, like, post-traumatic time. stress disorder mm-hmm. often could be that one significant mm-hmm. event. Let's say you lose your entire family in a house fire and you're the only survivor. Post-traumatic stress disorder can absolutely be a diagnosis of somebody who experienced something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but often in the people that we work with, I can say that there's usually never just one mm-hmm. event that really changes their brain function um you know the manifestation of uh of whatever mental illness is happening Mm -hmm. yeah and to what you were saying like the i absolutely like relate and agree with like oh why can't there just be like one really awesome thing that just makes it all better right i guess that's what magic is technically (laughs) but i would say which again is kind of cheesy but i would say that maybe there's not one big thing that can make it all better but intimate communication right it er, not communication intimate connection Mm -hmm. with the people that we love and what matters most to us is how we learn to heal yeah and how we learn to enjoy cope yeah 
find peace, right? So mm -hmm. it's not one big thing, but it's a bunch of little opportunities that we have to show us the life, that life is not just what we experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's what a good fucking therapy session does. <laughs> know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I've had, you, you and I both have had those. Absolutely. Um, where, uh, and that's, you had mentioned rewarding earlier, and I think that that, Part of, you know, staying in this work, even though it can be really fucking hard mm. sometimes, is the rewards that come out of it. When you see a light bulb go off for a client or you literally see, oh, I'm going to get all teared up, mm. pregnancy brain or pregnancy, <laughs> um, when you literally see like the weight lift off their shoulders, it's one of the coolest things ever. I concur. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Damn it, guys. <laughs> Well, we made it six episodes and we got a tear. Yeah. I had a feeling this is going to happen for this one. Well, well, I don't have any other questions. I'm, I'm yeah, that out. summed it up so well. Yeah, okay. that was interesting. Yeah, did you and I like anything? how we differentiated how the movies just kind of blow it way out of proportion. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to gonna ask you. If, if, they, if you guys had any movies that you knew of or like what your assumptions were. That's the only other thing I could think mm -hmm. of that might be Well, helpful. because like when... Unfortunately, with the comment base of people that aren't educated in mm -hmm. mental illnesses or mental health at all, you know, uh, something like this, you know, people will bring up, oh, do they have different names? Are they a different individual? Yeah. But kind of like you explained, where it's not necessarily like that. Mm -hmm. Where it could be a little like mm -hmm. that, but it's more in an essence of they're still themselves. They mm -hmm. still have themselves. Mm -hmm. They're just doing things differently. They're yeah. coping differently. You know, and, and they may have a snapping moment at one point where mm -hmm. something dramatic happens, especially if they're in a traumatic environment at mm -hmm. that time. Exactly. But, but it, which is crazy to me because you could, I still feel, you could still kind of make a really good movie even based off that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's just that in general. I, you know, I, I'm not Hollywood, you don't got to go so extreme. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. Right. I'm going to kind of tell on myself is that I prepared today by watching a bunch of movies about DID, <laughs> right, because I forgot. And I was sitting there with my partner. I was like, this isn't right. This isn't right. This is so stupid. And then when I was thinking about it, yeah, like, it's such an interesting and it, it is so strength-based, right? Even though it's a trauma you know, related disorder, it's so resilient. And yeah. that's, like, what good plots are made out of, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You can still make a really good movie that was pretty mm -hmm. accurate with it. Yeah. 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 And not be so aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Split? Split's a little intense. Yeah, like, <laughs> every single person, or not, that's, that's an absolute, but almost everything I've seen is... They make them violent. They have some type of monster alter, right. right? Who's like, oh no, if they come out, oh no. And they tend to be criminals, right? Mm. So and does Fight Club fall into that? Yes. Yes. Okay. It, it does. does. Okay. It does. I yes. understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Fight Club 100%. Totally. Yes. Which actually, I would consider Fight Club a little more accurate, considering he would kind of have these blackout moments. Because I wasn't sure, because that's only really, Fight Club's only one, and you said in your book it was two or more. Yeah. And Fight so, Club really only sounds like one. when I say two or more, I mean what we are calling a core, core and, oh, and so that is two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, don't forget about the core. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I still need to find a better a better word for that, right? I'm still learning and growing, and, and terminology mm -hmm. changes. So and if it, I know, I will tell you. And if that. I remember correctly, at one of the schools I went to, I want to say maybe I was in like eighth grade, and I met this person who struck me as off. I wish I would have got to know mm -hmm. them more, because after learning about this, I'm pretty sure, mm -hmm. like, they would talk about episodes they would have and mm -hmm. be very forgetful and not remember, mm -hmm. almost like hours of time. Yes. Uh, and I was like, I didn't know how to this handle that. This was another student? Then. Yeah. Like, you're like your age? Yeah. So 13, 14 years yeah. old? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Because I haven't, you know, I haven't met anybody yeah. with that yeah. disorder or, or experiencing that type of things mm -hmm. where, but it was like multiple occasions. And it was like they never did anything bad from their assumptions, but they wouldn't merit, remember mm -hmm. parents, conversations mm -hmm. with their parents. Exactly. They wouldn't, they wouldn't like, like completely like, like mm -hmm. freaked out. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't. Like, oh. yeah, that's what. And this person did kind of have very iffy parents, also, so mm -hmm. that would now explain some of that. Mm -hmm. Now, for people that get mental illness, does the trauma usually come at the childhood age, or does it happen mm -hmm. later in life, or can it happen later in life? Just any I, mental I illness that in that, general. I well, like, what's most too. common? Is it more found mm -hmm. starting as the childhood? Like, is it a childhood traumatic thing that well, that it sounds manifests like through the years, or is it? Like, can you, someone at 25 years old, go through a traumatic series of events for a few years? And, and then something click in their yeah. brain. That's a great question, Joe. So, uh, what were you going to say, babe? So, oh, I, I I'll come back to that. Oh, I, I was just going to say, while I think DID, it makes sense that it would happen young, because the brain's still developing. Yeah. And an I would feel it would be harder to get DID later in life if you didn't have it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it would be something else underlining other than DID mm -hmm. because your brain's already developed. Mm -hmm. The likelihood that you would then cope differently, even though you experience trauma, mm -hmm. would still be relatively the same across the board after the age, I would say after 16 it depends on the mental illness mm -hmm. to answer your question, but I guess a blanket response for from me would be I've talked about the genetic predisposition that we all have to developing XYZ. Mm -hmm. And I personally think we all have a genetic predisposition to developing some sort of mental illness or addiction. Mm -hmm. And the onset at which those can take place varies. So... Um, Personality disorders mm -hmm. can't take place until you are 18 years old, essentially, as far as the diagnosis, like the DSM goes. Uh, we talked about the DSM, di uh, the DID onset could be as early as five or s five to ten years old. Mm -hmm. um, Which almost makes sense, because that's almost like a diagnosis that you, like, learn to do, kind of, compared to a personality disorder could not come later, because you're not even developed yet, right? Like, you're mm. not... Yeah, um, that yeah, and and now that I didn't know DID was so young, yeah, for, and yeah. that's so I got to wrap my head around that one over the course of the next couple yeah. weeks, um, or and just think, forever, really. If I can add something, I think that's why it's that's not why, but it's just another reason that we need to be empathetic to people that feel different to us or that might do things in a way that feels odd, yeah. right? Because yeah. so often than not, like those people are just so easily, you know, tossed as tossed off as like freaks or weirdos or like, you know, idiots and all yeah. these like derogatory words that 
it's just so detrimental to someone that's already going through so much. Yeah, they just want to belong. They just mm -hmm. write that, con that's that a, connectedness. That's how I try to think of everything, especially more so lately mm -hmm. with a kid coming into the world. But <laughs> I just try to look at like everybody and everything that happens, even if it's like sometimes intentionally even towards mm -hmm. me or around me i'm kind of like well i don't know if that dude had a shit day or not yeah. like i don't yeah. i don't i just try to be more you know open-minded mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but it's at crazy knowing that yeah the personality disorders you can't diagnose until they're at least 18 mm -hmm. but then the did five to ten that is interesting yeah. Yeah. but there's like a lot more that goes in the did it seems though well, and it's the criteria, mm -hmm. right? So if we were to break apart the DSM and literally walk through each of the diagnoses and criteria, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it could make more sense to maybe the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Also, just because you have to meet or just because you have to be 18 to be able to be diagnosed doesn't Correct. mean that a 14-year-old can't present with symptoms mm -hmm. that look like a personality disorder. Mm -hmm. We just can't use that diagnosis for them at the time, but it's probably more than likely going to be something later on. Yeah. Is there so is like, different, or is there... Like, a, if yes. you use narcissists, yes. for example, you could definitely have narcissistic traits at mm -hmm. 14 to 16 years yes. old and develop into a narcissist. You just can't necessarily be that until you're 18. So what do you, how do you diagnose mm. a child with that? Well, do so I'll give you an example. So antisocial personality yeah. disorder is the um, the is the in, the uh, sociopath, right, or the psychopath that we were talking about before. So to meet criteria for that, um, often as a child before mm -hmm. the person turns eighteen, conduct disorder is appropriate for mm -hmm. adolescents and children. Exactly. And and so I, without going through the um, the DSM and reading the criteria, it's really just. Uh, uh, that I guess that's an example of what an adolescent can be diagnosed with, and mm -hmm. then what they could be eligible for. I don't know if eligible is yeah. the right word there yeah. later on. So it, they get they get diagnosed with conduct disorder at fourteen. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they turn eighteen, they're like, "All right, you're a narcissist." Or, or antisocial. Or antisocial. Or is it like, do they get re-diagnosed at 18? Not necessarily. So the hope is that mm -hmm. if a person is 14 and they are diagnosed with conduct disorder and they get treatment, mm -hmm. that you were able to mitigate that. Yeah. Right? Oh, That's so the goal. Them if you get That's them early. the goal. Because kind the brain's of. still developing and that yeah. would be very oh. possible to do when you think yes. about it. Yes, that's Which, the goal. To that sense, your brain's absolutely still developing beyond 18. You're going through puberty yes. for Christ's yes. sakes also. Yeah. So hormones take a play mm -hmm. in this and everything else. That's why it yeah. kind of makes sense to me that the DSM does do it that way. Because, yeah. like, like if, you know, as we're using narcissists or antisocial, like, by the time you're 20, if you're still exhibiting that, you clearly mm -hmm. have that. But when you're young exhibiting that, puberty mm -hmm. can change that, hormones, everything else, environment, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff as your brain's mm -hmm. still developing. And then DID, it makes sense when it's early because it's more than one personality. That's still mm -hmm. a unique thing. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and it, you could experience that very young mm -hmm. and there's probably something going on there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There, there was another thought hmm. I had. That I, I remembered mine. Mine was that... Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, this stuff is deep. Man. Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, so kind of with the diagnosing personality disorders, I don't know if you would agree, but I'm pretty sure, but I don't want to talk for you, is that, I th that therapists are often very hesitant or careful to diagnose someone with a personality disorder. 
right? Because technically, under, um, I guess, under the medical model, we aren't able, or they say you're not able to cure or fix, I don't like those words either, yeah. but uh, someone with a personality disorder, you just learn to cope with it, right? So that's, it's kind of sometimes seen as a... Yeah, because it's your personality. What if that's your core, right? Yeah. At your core, you're a narcissist. Well, like my, my example earlier about, you know, being born or being born without an arm versus yeah. breaking <laughs> an arm. That's very stigmatizing to say that out loud, but it... I can tell you people with personality disorders can function at their very Absolutely. best. We fucking and watched that's why it happen. I, right. And and that's why I love the videos that I watch. Because you can find these videos mm -hmm. where people are living narcissists or antisocial. Mm -hmm. And they'll talk about their story and how they're living with it every single day. But mm -hmm. it is okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you know, deal mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. People on TikTok. There's a guy. I don't know his name. He's African-American male. And he's got dreads like down okay. to the mid, his <laughs> mid core. Um, he has narcissistic personality disorder, and he essentially uh, has uh, I watched created one on a, a TikTok. sociopath. That was yeah. one of the most interesting mm -hmm. videos I've ever watched. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool stuff when you when you mm -hmm. can because you can function. You can absolutely function. Mm -hmm. and it's all about yeah. accountability mm -hmm. and kind of identifying the the impact you have on others I yeah think. yeah and having that connection with other people correct yeah, yeah that and that's not going to come until they talk to themselves inside the mind <laughs> yeah yeah that self-awareness that insight. yeah accountability self-awareness mm -hmm. like all that comes mm -hmm. with it and then you can live with these you know mm -hmm. disorders you can i don't know you think about it i feel like that's even hard to do if like you know you fuck up at school or work right mm -hmm. like it, it's understandable that people have a hard time accepting that they may be something yeah. for the rest no. of their lives or just the stigma of that mm -hmm. even if it, even though it, it, it might not have such a big impact so well something that recently um christy had said to mm -hmm. me i had a client who we started to explore whether or not they could be borderline and he's like that absolutely fucking terrifies me yeah. and christy said because I, I was I was consulting with her because I'm like that is terrifying. Like, mm -hmm. how do I navigate this with a client? You know, I'm usually val validating, of course. Mm -hmm. And the way she put it was, "Well, you're already living it. So, mm -hmm. what is it? What does it matter?" And it's like, Ooh. "Damn, girl, you good? <laughs> I love Christy, dude. She really is. Yeah. And that's so true. Think about it. Like, you have nothing to do but go up. Yeah. yeah. Right. And once yeah. you know, like, once you get a diagnosis. Because some people are so so misdiagnosed, mm. and then you're treating this thing that doesn't actually exist for this person. This is person. why you see counselors before anybody else. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. They mm. actually spend time with you. Don't just go to the docs and try to get meds. Yes. And Sounds wrong with me, docs. Pick me. All right, 20 minutes here. I yeah. don't know. They told me to sell this shit last week. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah. yeah, not wrong. Not wrong, unfortunately. Bureaucracy. Because they were all biased, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so once, once you're able to really start getting some answers and, and working towards becoming a better version of yourself, then, uh, No, I then understand we are, are all biased, but why isn't there, like, mm -hmm. I mean, it does come down to money, I'm sure, but, mm -hmm. like, at the end of the day, you think there could be a simpler criteria of you have to have so many man hours of counseling before you would be prescribed certain medications. Like, that mm -hmm. would just make sense. And then it would, like, 
force people to counseling even more. And then you would actually find resolutions. And uh, like, that just makes mm-hmm. sense. And that still does create money. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand yeah. like that why Are that people medicated and not in therapy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A ton, dude. All they the time. Hand them pills and say, go live yep. your life? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so psychiatrists, at least I know, I don't know about NPs because they can prescribe to nurse practitioners, but psychiatrists can bill for the 15 minutes. Yeah, and which is absolutely insane when you think about it. Primary you, you care. You just do it a little bit differently, and it's better. Fifteen right. minutes, hand someone a prescription, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And primary care physicians can also prescribe True. often low doses of pretty basic antidepressants and stuff, yeah. but they often can't prescribe like you know anxiolytics, like s- severe anxiolytics. I got prescribed, you know, just to self-disclose, I got prescribed Vyvanse from my medical Your doctor. Pri- oh, okay. And when I went to a psychiatrist, this was in college, because uh-huh. I got diagnosed late in life as a woman, that's pretty common. Uh, when I went to my psychiatrist, a new psychiatrist, he accused me of, uh, like, manipulating my doctor in order to get it. Wow. too right so there's not a lot of communication either yeah it, it's really tough yeah and i yeah. think hipaa laws make that tough too because that's another thing like you know not to touch too deep into politics of hot topics right now but gun control and mental mm. health and all that stuff is you know how hard that would actually be like say that we do make that the case due to hipaa laws i know people myself that lied to get in the service you are never caught nobody has all your medical records from birth from like that's not a thing there is no database that shows everything that you've ever seen the government Mm -hmm. doesn't have anything like that Mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way you have to track i see a counselor in florida nobody will ever know unless i tell people (laughs) yeah yeah like it's not it doesn't work that way yeah, it's a mess. It is a mess. <laughs> but is. I think that, Corey, your uh, solution to, like, integrating uh, medication management and talk uh-huh. therapy yeah. is so smart. Yeah, like, thank I, you. I never thought of that. Like, yeah. that's such a smart solution. Like, well, yeah. because just thinking of it in simplistic terms, like, you have sentences for things all the time that you have to do or mm-hmm. criteria that you have to meet and requirements in college. I mean, even when you're in trouble, probation, you have to yeah. serve a certain amount of sentence of something. Mm-hmm. Why so, do you not have to have so many man hours of counseling before you have certain medications? That just makes way too much sense. <laughs> you know? And it still puts money in the system. Insurance companies mm-hmm. still make money. Like, it's still... It's done too quickly in mental Mm -hmm. disorders, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. that you have to have a certain amount of time of communication and seeing and sorting through the problem before you realize you're going to take anything. Mm -hmm. Well, something you and I talked about this morning, something our group talked about last night, what drives the world? Oh, Money. 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 But that's what I'm saying. This thing would still create revenue. Capitalistic society. And that is a whole other topic for a whole other show. (laughs) But it wouldn't create as instant revenue, especially in America. That's what I'm saying. Especially in the health That's exactly what I'm saying. Big Pharma definitely is at the top of that. Yeah. And I think beyond money, in terms of why people might seek out medication management over therapy, is that it's a quicker fix. It is. Right. Instagramification. We do live in a society where everything has to be like this, between social media, internet, everything. Yeah. And for the person that might be thinking like, oh, that's what I did, like F you or something like that, right? Right. It's understandable. You want to feel better. Of course it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage 
people to think about, you know, now that I encourage people to think of medication management as a, a way to open the door, a way to crack the door for you to do the work, to be healthy, happy, and functional the rest of your life, not mm -hmm. just while you're on medication. Right. Yep. Because it's not always meant for forever. Mm -hmm. right. And those two things together is what creates a healthy person. Yes. Agreed. Or even if they did it in a counter way to where, okay, I'm going to prescribe you this medication, but you must seek counseling with this medication as mm -hmm. well and have to have so much time due to the fact it could be a misdiagnosis, sure, right? Sure. So, like, what, that can work both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, should, in my opinion, medication management should always be an adjunct to therapy. Yeah. And yeah. vice versa. So, hopefully we'll... We can push towards now. That. There's not enough counselors in the world if it was required right now, but it would open the job. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's another thing I think reason why too that does play into this a little bit to where money and everything else, but I think also availability. So mm -hmm. imagine now if I, I'm pretty sure there's statistics and numbers out there, like you said, almost certainly all of us are going to experience some type of trauma, all of us are going to experience some type of possible. I wouldn't necessarily say mental illness, you know, as an absolute, but something that can contribute to becoming a possible mental illness, whether it be addiction, alcoholism, you know, there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. So if everybody did then have to seek counseling, but I mean, what's wrong with this society that everyone's counseled? Nothing, but <laughs> at the same time, it's probably manpower alone that would yeah. probably be pretty hard to do. Mm -hmm. All your counselors would be booked up everywhere and losing their mind, <laughs> but... It's already like that. So. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Let's add some more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and after all these podcasts, you guys probably be able to be therapists soon. <laughs> For real. For real. They are fun. I do love these. Yeah. Ones. Through the yeah, looking glasses, I'm so excited that I, we got to this point to where I was able to cultivate something that was meaningful for myself and for the community. Uh, and, and Chelsea, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing your your stuff about DID, this was super interesting. And maybe um, one day we'll figure out what's wrong with Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I do want to say, when this, I sh we should probably should have put this at the top, but when this episode goes live, it will be May, which, if I remember from last year, is Mental Health Awareness Month. So, oh. everyone out wow. there, do not be afraid to seek help. Yeah. It is out there, and you can live your life to the happiest and fullest that you could ever imagine. Yeah. And help is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Help is everywhere. Na uh, Your friends, NAMI, uh, National Alliance of Mental Illness, is such a good resource out there. It's free for people that might not have medical insurance or health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, if you know, not everybody has a good social circle. So while that is always a thing, you know, mm -hmm. reach out to your friends and family. You know, I. Uh, get yourselves a fam out there. Yeah, get yourselves a fam. <laughs> Honestly, I will say the internet's a good source too, but use it correctly. Yeah. Don't get on Facebook. Don't. And don't rabbit hole yourself down like no. you know, uh, side no. med or whatever. Honestly, I've seen some of these good in-depth conversations when I've been online on Reddit, mm -hmm. Discord. Go to places like that. Don't go, don't go to Facebook. Don't go to mm -hmm. Instagram. Don't. So they have really good groups on Discord, Reddit, stuff like that, that people and these communities will connect on this level. It's really cool. Mm. Yeah. Good cool. stuff. Got any plugs? 
Any plugs? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't even have a Facebook, so no, <laughs> sir. But I guess, actually, I'll plug something that might be helpful for your uh, listeners. I've uh, given this resource to a lot of my friends and family that have found it helpful. Um, it's called Open Path Collective, and it's uh, a collective of a bunch of different therapists throughout the U.S., um, and they're part of a group that you are able to um, get reduced uh, mental health services if you don't have insurance or if your insurance doesn't cover anything. Um, I used it when I was poor and in college and grad school. Um, Lord knows I needed it, uh, but I paid $30 a month and I have a friend now currently using it that pays $15, or not a month, excuse me, per session, mm. right? And, and that's pretty darn cheap for therapy. Yes, so it is. I, I guess I would plug that and if you, uh, if you need it and it's kind of appropriate for mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, well follow us on, uh, Joe, you got this better than I do. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Already follow us on Instagram. We are at Pancakes on Sunday Podcast. Stay up to date on all new episodes coming out. Um, like, subscribe, rate on whichever podcast service you are listening to on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon. If you have third parties, we have an RSS feed. You can just plug that right in there and it updates whenever we update. Really yeah, simple. Dude. It helps us grow and we wanna we got a lot of a lot of stuff coming out. We have a, another conspiracy theory episode. Mm -hmm. uh, we just did an interview with an hilarious story of something that you only really hear out of a movie. Yeah. It's it's Was this last Friday? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I can't wait for that. Last one. Friday right. when we were recording, but yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, yeah. So please follow us. You know, we post weekly uh, all sorts of different topics and um, we had our D&D series. I mean, this is the sixth episode of Through the Looking Glass, and we have many other topics. So if you like this kind of stuff, go listen to the other five. And, um, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thanks, dudes. Cool. Thanks, dudes. Bye, guys. Be Bye. safe out there.